So before they all leave the platform, you need to realize you have just made the day and the week for these people up here. Because for 11 weeks, I know I can speak for them. 11 weeks, they have been playing and singing and worshiping their hearts out to empty chairs. And today they got smiling faces and people singing with them. So from all of them to all of you, I will just say for them, thank you for being here. Yeah. And so to those musicians, and it has been a, a pretty consistent group, to the tech, te- uh, the tech team that keeps this thing all moving uh, and it allows us to be online, that pretty much are the same people every week, and to a staff at the Open Door Christian Church who have not been able to work in the same office, and we meet on uh, Zoom for weeks, and for the last couple we've met out here, keeping our distance and doing what we're supposed to be doing. And, and it's just incredible the, the way that folks have chipped in around here to keep our church moving forward. Thank you for continuing to be the church. Um, it's a good morning. It's a good homecoming. So the, uh, the message today, we're in Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, Jesus is, is giving the very famous Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to continue that. And the topic today is lust. Some of your Bibles, they, they say adultery. The other thing that's going on in the event that you've not been paying attention to news is there is a little bit of stuff that's going on around the world coming out of the state of Minnesota, all focused on the issue of racism. Both of these things, lust from our text today and racism, are things that we need to be talking about. One, because Jesus did, and it's our text for the day. The other thing, because it is alive and well in the world, and we as Christians in the church need to be a part of putting an end to it. And so the message today, as much as I'd love to have something light and fun, and frivolous it isn't so much that way but it's important stuff and as christians we need to talk about it so we're going to begin this if you got your bibles pull to matthew 5 going to be in verse 27 have you ever had the thought and i know that you have i gotta have that you saw an ad you saw something drive by you saw somebody wearing something you you saw something something and you said i gotta have that maybe you said i've got to have him Or I've got to have her. Whatever it is, that's what Jesus is talking about today. And we've all had, none of us are immune from those thoughts. Those are human thoughts. i got to have that. That's really what Jesus is talking about today. It's this entire industry that exists that in America this year, in America... $246 billion, a quarter of a trillion billion dollars. I don't actually know how much money that is, but I think it's a lot. That much money is going to be spent getting you to have one thought. That thought is, I need to have that. The advertising industry in America will spend a quarter of a trillion dollars this year getting you to have the thought, I have to have that. Creating a want and a need in your mind and your heart that changes what you would do otherwise if you'd never heard about it to make a purchase with your money to have something that they've convinced you you needed to have. It can be a piece of clothing, shirt, pants, dress, shoes, could be a car, could be a house, could be any number of things. But the whole point is to get you to want something. And if they can get you to want it enough, and I'm going to bring in the word of the day, to lust after it, you're going to spend your money to have something that before you saw the ad you didn't know you needed. 
Think about it. It's how it works. So let's just take a simple example. Let's talk about a car. Uh, if you're a person that's more into trucks, we'll go trick up, pick up trucks, big and tricked out as you want either way. You see an ad on television. And they're all the same. They're in some incredible place and they're doing some amazing thing that normal people never have the time or the money to do. And they're smiling the way you wonder, how come they're smiling? And the whole point in the ad is, well, if I had that car or truck, I'd smile like that too. I would be that happy. You know what? If I spent the money on that vehicle, I would live that life. And they kind of even give you the idea that if you spent all that money and you had that vehicle, the million-dollar smile that those actors happen to have would be yours as well. It would come right along with it. And so what do they sell us? They sell us new air conditioning systems where there's a cooler and a chiller and a heater behind you. Bun warmers aren't the thing anymore. No, no, no. Steering wheel warmers in the back of your seat now. There's cameras all the way around. You can get an exterior view of your vehicle sitting in the driver's seat. You've get ripped. You can ride in vehicles. I've been in one. Guy drove down a busy interstate in California looking at me while he's driving his Tesla, while his Tesla was driving. I thought, I need one of those. I thought, there's no way I'd take my hand off the steering wheel anyway. Maybe it's shoes. Ladies, you know what? You, you, this might be news to you, but you can spend $1,500, $2,000 on a pair of shoes. And you see the wrong ad that creates the wrong image. And you say, you know what? If I had those, then I'd be happy like that lady is. That is the whole point of the advertising industry is to get us to lust after things that we don't actually need. It's to get us to, to move our minds to go from, huh, what's that? To the thing that says, I want that. To the part where we say, I'll do whatever I have to do to get that. And that's where we make the move to lust. And Jesus is talking about that today. Maybe your Bible is one of those that this heading is adultery. And that's where he opens up. But like he's doing with the rest of the, the passages in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking an Old Testament law, one of the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, but this is how it really works in your life. And it doesn't start with the action. It starts with the thought and the heart. And he's doing the very same thing today. See, but it goes beyond just advertising because we're surrounded by images and movies and Internet and email and people. All of, what tell, all of which tell us that we'll be happy if we had something else. If we had something more, if we could obtain the thing that's just out of our reach, then we will be happiness. Happiness, we're told, lies in those things that's just outside what we have, but once we get them, we'll be happy. But you know what? That isn't true, because then all we do is want more. And when we start buying into all of that, the thing that we start wanting on top of it all, all, all the rest of that stuff is this. We say, well, if I had someone new, someone else in my life, if I had someone different... And that's where Jesus begins this whole thing. But here's the deal. And the advertising industry wouldn't be very happy that I said this. Happiness or unhappiness doesn't lie in what someone else is or isn't. What they have or what they don't have. Happiness is what you've got inside of you. Joy is what you've got inside of you. Getting something new and different, that isn't going to change who you really are. Who you are when you get that new vehicle doesn't change one bit. A vehicle gets you from A to B. That's all it does. And you don't change one bit when you come up with the umpteen thousand dollars to buy a new one with all the bells and whistles. Our passage today from Matthew 5. Jesus is really clear about that, but it's important that, that we remember a couple of things that we go there. Jesus is using the Ten Commandments here. He did it last week or two weeks ago. 
He's using the Ten Commandments not just to teach us the law, but he's using the Ten Commandments as an insight into how we think. How we're to live healthy, godly lives with healthy, godly relationships with with each other and with our Creator. He's using the Ten Commandments to be more than just a bunch of rules that say what we can't do. He uses them to say, this is how we can live. The second thing is that you can't read each section as a standalone. If your Bible is like mine, it's got the headings over all the sections of verses, and it gives you an idea of what that passage talks about. And that's helpful, but here's the problem. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount wasn't given with intermission and commercial breaks. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount began with him teaching his disciples the Beatitudes at a place called Edomos Topos on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as the crowd began to gather, his attention turned not away from the disciples, but to the crowd, and his voice probably got louder as he got into the sections that we're looking at now. If we read them as standalone pieces, we miss so much of the heart of the message. The Sermon on the Mount is all one message. And today and next Sunday and the following Sunday, the three passages that we're going to look at are about lust and adultery, divorce, and oaths and promises. I don't have to tell you how those three tie together. If you read them each and individually, you're going to miss the vast majority of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. And then when we take the whole Sermon on the Mount and we read it all together, we begin to realize that what Jesus is doing is he's going from the Beatitudes and he's telling his disciples, life is going to be tough. If you're going to be known as my disciples, it is not going to be easy. People are not going to be kind. And the unkind people, they're beginning to gather. And then he goes into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and what he's doing is explaining to his disciples and the crowd. And he's letting that crowd hear for the first time is this is what it means to follow me. And as we read this today and as we look at it, we need to understand that it's part of a much larger whole, but it's also part of what Jesus is saying. This is what it means to follow me. Verse 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent already has committed adultery with her in his heart. For those of you keeping track, it's the seventh commandment. He's not dismissing the commandments. He's not saying that the law doesn't matter anymore. He's not saying, we're on to something different. I showed up and you don't have to worry about that. He's quoting the seven commandments, uh, the seventh commandment, one that the disciples and the crowd all thought was pretty well cut. They'd heard it forever. The Pharisees had taught them over and over and over and what, what it meant. It, it meant when you have a relationship outside of marriage with someone, it's adultery. And Jesus says, that's what you've been told. He's not arguing it, but what he's going to get into next is to say that the Pharisees, they read the law just as the law. They didn't read it as relationship. They didn't read it all together. They didn't understand the whole thing. They didn't realize that it's really about relationship, that the whole thing, all Ten Commandments work together. And Jesus actually was pressed on the issue. Later on, people, people wanted to push him, and it was the Pharisees that did it. See, they wanted to stick to the law because they were good at keeping the law. And they said, okay, Jesus, then what's the greatest commandment? If all ten of them still matter, they all are important, what's the greatest one of all? And Jesus gets to that passage where he's not creating something new. He's not making it up. What he's doing is he's taking all of the Ten Commandments and all of the Old Testament law, and he's putting it in very plain, what we would call English. And he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving God. And it's about loving people. The Ten Commandments are about living in a healthy relationship with God and with each other. 
And he said, in that, the greatest commandment, he said, in that lies all of the law and all of the prophets. Everything you've been trying to teach one piece at a time. And, and at that point, they had over 600 laws that people were supposed to keep. Everything you've been trying to teach one piece at a time is summed up in those sentences. If you want to follow Jesus, what do you do? You love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you say, well, I don't like myself very much. Don't tell me to love my neighbor as myself because I don't love me. You know what? If you've ever made the move to do anything to keep yourself alive, you do love yourself. You may not be fond of yourself at the moment. But there is something about us that Jesus knows we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to preserve our own life. We're going to do what we've got to do to live another day. Unfortunately, what's happening in America today is that we're not loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're loving our neighbors differently. We're loving our neighbors differently based on the color of their skin, where they grew up, their education, and how they speak. And that very simple command that Jesus gave is so hard to get lost in all of the excuses. And so what Jesus is doing is he's wrapping all those Ten Commandments up and he says, you know what, it's all about your motivation. If you really love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, then you are going to see the world the way that my Father in heaven sees the world, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself the way that God loves you. And it silenced those people because they had nothing to come back with. He gets at lust and adultery through motivation, just the way he got at murder through the motivation of it starting with being angry. So often we talk about, well, I want something and I, or I want someone else because there's something lacking in the person that I have. There's something lacking in the car that I have. There's something lacking in the clothes that I have. Folks, I've got a really hard word for you, and that is simply this. It's not out there. It's lacking in you. If you're not happy, happiness comes and goes. It's an emotion that changes all the time. You're going to be happy one minute and sad the next. That's part of being human. Joy is something different. Joy, when it comes from the Lord, when it comes from Jesus, does not go away. And you find out that you don't need all of those things. You just need more of the first thing that Jesus talked about. That's love the Lord our God. And when we do that, love for others comes real easy. Now, here's the thing. You've heard me say this before. When we approach a text around here as as preachers and teachers, there's one thing I ask. Start with the text. Always start with the Bible. Then go to the context. Who spoke and who who was that person speaking to and what did they hear and understand? And then go to the application. What does it mean to us in our world today? And so often our cultural assumptions get in the way of understanding what the Bible is really saying. And teachings of Jesus often get lost. And so we grab the verse or the phrase that we like because it makes sense to us when maybe we completely miss the mark. And that's what the Pharisees were doing with the Ten Commandments. See, in Jesus' day... Even among the Jewish religious people, women weren't seen as people. Women were much more seen as possessions. And so in this passage, Jesus is specifically talking to the men because that's the one that it referred to because there was all kinds of reasons where men could do things that we would say that they shouldn't and it was technically okay because they didn't understand the heart of that commandment. And so Jesus is getting at This cultural assumption that they have that it's all about keeping the law but not doing what was right. And Jesus tilts this one towards the men because the men are the ones that really needed to hear it because the women's voices weren't being heard. In our world today, there are voices that aren't being heard. 
Now, there's two things that are happening out there. There are protests that are going on, and there's riots and looting that are going on. They are two completely different groups of people. The protesters just want their voice to be heard. They have not been heard for so long, and we in the church have ignored them just like everyone else has. The rioters and looters, they're opportunists. I'm not going to bother wasting my time with them. But you know what? The protesters, we need to hear. Because the protesters, what they're really asking for is, we just want to be able to have the same relationships in this world that you do. And it fits so perfectly into what Jesus is saying, because one of the things that Jesus did, he talked about that power struggle all of the time. When Jesus talked about Samaritans, when whether it was the woman at the well, and he was honest with her. He loved her. He was direct with her. But he was not in any way cruel or did he try to embarrass her. He just, he just loved her. Or whether it was the parable of the Good Samaritan, both of those things are about people that had no power. They had no voice. The Jewish people said they weren't even people. The nickname for the Samaritans was the dogs of the desert. I can't imagine how we translate it into our language, but I've heard some words that people use to call people of different races. And I can guarantee you it wouldn't be very nice. When Jesus shared those stories, what he was doing was calling out racial divisions and saying, it isn't just you Jewish people that do things right. There are good people all over, and the Bible is full of racial distinctions. It isn't a bad thing. It's a fact of life. You go through life, and you look around you, and not everybody looks like you. That's not a bad thing. It's the way that God created us. In fact, that fact of life comes from God in all of his all-surpassing wisdom, which I won't begin to understand. God, for reasons that are his own, that, that science understands a little bit of, but by and large, we don't have a clue. For all of his own reasons, God used an incredible palette of colors when he began to paint human skin. And not all of us look the same. Thank goodness. Can you imagine in the morning waking up in the mirror and seeing this face looking back at you? You don't want that. I don't know why God did it, but he did. And he chose to create every one of them in his image and all of the colors that he chose to create all of us in. But see, that's what it is. It's the color of skin. And somehow we assign so much value. We assign education value and intelligence value and understanding value and financial value to the color of skin. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Look to someone's heart. Look to the motivation. What about your heart? What about your motivation? This shirt or the shirt that you're wearing says absolutely nothing about the condition of your heart. It says absolutely nothing about who you are unless it happens to have words and graphics that describe who you are and what you want the world to know about you. Just a plain piece of clothing doesn't talk about who you are any more than the color of skin tells someone who you are. And Jesus says, we've got to look at hearts. And then we love people. Jesus often spoke about the Gentiles. That was a racial distinction. Uh, the, The Gentiles were everybody to the Jewish people who were not Jews. It was Jews and Gentiles. That's the way that's broken down there in the New Testament, right? Jews and Gentiles. I got news for you. Unless you're a Jewish person watching us online or sitting here today, you're a Gentile. That's a racial distinction. Distinction. Jesus drew a line between the Jews and the Gentiles. In our world, we're hearing an awful lot about race, and we should be. And what we need to realize is the church has not taken a biblical stand on this issue especially in America, because we're called to honor, we're called to love, we're called to lift up and preach the message of salvation in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone to everybody. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he didn't parcel out different groups for different people. 
all the world. Speaking of race, that Jesus that you look to for your hope and your salvation, if you believe in him, I want you to think about him for a moment. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Walked around what we understand now as Israel. He was born Jewish. He was completely Jewish. He is in what we now understand as the Middle East. And I got news for you. That Jesus who you count on for your salvation looked nothing like you. We've got this idea from the artists that have given us this horrible representation because it makes us feel better. That Jesus was about five foot ten and light blonde, long, slightly wavy, quite beautiful hair, luscious locks. I think that I have heard the phrase from my children. Maybe even blue eyes. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus would have been dark-skinned and dark-haired. Maybe God would have blessed him so much to be bald, but I doubt that. (laughs) But Christians in America got to realize Jesus didn't look like us, any of us. And yet he loves us and he died for us. And he just said, please love the world the way that I've loved you. And that's a message that we have not heard. We have not taken the context and given it proper application. Going on in verse 28, he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Directed at men. Because men knew the rules. They know what they could do and they knew what they could not do. It wasn't directed at the women because the women were essentially pieces of property. They were a possession. And what Jesus is saying is that every single one of your sins begins with a thought. Sin begins with a thought before we ever step out in action. Sin sin begins here and then it moves to here. Think about the commercial. You see and process the commercial. It changes how you feel about your own car. Now suddenly you have to have it. That's an example that doesn't make anybody feel too bad. Sin begins with the thought before the action ever happens. Sin begins, Jesus says, the moment that we want to sin, the moment we think about doing what we shouldn't. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, right? They're on this hillside location. It's the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. I hope you get to see it. Around it is the village of Capernaum. Jesus did a lot of, spent a lot of time there. There's the, the small village of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from, just a couple of miles away. There's Bethsaida, where the fisherman, who Jesus recalled as his first disciples, is not very far from here. And because he's close to these towns, there's a large gathering of people that followed him everywhere he went. We learn earlier in Scripture that when he went around, it said healing them and healing all of them. And not just some of them, but all of them. And so a lot of the crowd said, you got something wrong, this guy will take care of it for you. So they weren't interested in who Jesus was. They were interested in what they could get from Jesus. And these crowds are following Jesus because he's starting to talk in a way that no one else had talked before. He's talking with an authority. He's teaching and preaching in a way that was familiar to what they had grown up with, but it took it in an entirely different direction. And so he's taking this opportunity as he is speaking louder to this crowd, not just his disciples, reminding them that the Old Testament law that they grew up with isn't over. They're not excused from it, but there's a depth to it that they've never been told. He's taking the words of the law and he's using a Ten Commandment again today, one of the ten, to teach a deeper truth than what the people had ever been told. And so you've got to realize that if you're one of those who calls Jesus your Lord, if you call Jesus your Savior, you're one of the disciples in this picture. You're one of the disciples who he's speaking directly to, saying, this is how I'm looking for you to live. And if you live as one of my disciples, it ain't going to be easy out there. People aren't going to take it easy on you. They are not going to be nice. They're going to be kind. But when you do it for me, you will be blessed. You will have complete contentment, not happiness, but joy. See the difference? 
He's telling the world it's a tough place. But he's also speaking so the crowd can hear. And here's the deal. You and I are surrounded by the crowd, just like the disciples. We live within the crowd. We are sent out to bring the good news to the crowd. There's not a separation there. We're in the middle of it and a part of it. We live in the crowd. And just like Jesus' day, the crowd always wants their own way. The crowd doesn't want to do what's best for everyone. The crowd doesn't want to honor their creator. The crowd wants what they want. And if you're following the news today, that's what you're seeing. The crowd wants to ignore the illness and dismiss the symptoms and just take what they want. The illness is our sin and the symptoms are the way we justify and excuse our willingness to sin. How lightly we treat our own sin while at the same time we point out the thoughts and the actions and the flaws and the sins of others. We say, well, you know what, it's okay for me because... If you watch the news, what you will see is the incredible power for good and for evil of the crowd. The crowd is incredibly powerful. Peer pressure, call it what you want. The crowd is powerful. Standing out against the crowd is difficult. And Jesus was calling his disciples in the midst of the crowd to be different while they lived in the crowd. We're disciples and he's calling us to do the very same thing. When a man or a woman looks at another human being with the intention of lusting after them, with the intention of desiring a physical encounter with them, Jesus says, you're guilty of breaking God's law even if you don't take action. The idea is, you know, the first look is free. It's what you do with it from there. That, that's what you're responsible for. Some of you are old enough like me. You remember President Jimmy Carter. He was alive decades ago, many decades ago. He got absolutely skewered in the media because he made the statement once, I committed adultery with that woman in my heart because I lusted after her. And the media laughed at him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. But you know what he was doing? He was drawing a line between himself and the crowd. And he said, God expects more of me because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And the media made fun of him. Could you imagine if he had made that statement today? Could you imagine? I can't, I, I cannot imagine what the media would have done with him. So what, what we need to be clear about as we hear in these words of Jesus is he's not only upholding the strictness of the law, he's making clear that the law by the letter is only part of what's important. Our hearts, our minds, our motivation. See, the Pharisees, they were the experts in the law. They were literally the religious lawyers. They took great pride in the way that they knew the law and they kept the law perfectly and they made sure everybody who didn't knew it. They considered themselves better than everybody else for living perfectly well. And you know how Jesus feels about that kind of pride, right? So what Jesus is making clear that the disciples and the crowd understands is there's more to keeping the law than just not doing things. To truly keep the law is also what we think and how we feel. Not just what we stop doing. And so when you see people on television, when you see people who don't like you, who don't look like you, when you see people who don't speak your language or follow a different religion, whether you see a protester or a rioter, what's the thought that's in your heart? What's the first thought that comes to your mind? What do you think about? That's what Jesus is getting at. Are you loving them like you do people who you know and understand? Or somehow are you drawing a distinction that you don't have to? Jesus is all about relationships, and the law helps us to understand relationships the way that God wants us to. 
when the Ten Commandments are properly understood, when we get them right, it helps us to be in the right relationship with God and the right relationship with each other. So what about lust? What about lust? What does it mean in our world? It's just like them. We can say, well, yeah, we understand what adultery is, but what about lust? Lust is simply this. Lust is wanting anything that you don't have in a way that isn't healthy for you. Lust is wanting something that is not yours. And it isn't good. It isn't good for us, and it isn't good for other people. We see lust being played out before our eyes in America today in ways that are absolutely heartbreaking. One of the things that's happened, and we've seen it happen in the church, Commandments talk about this as well. We have made worship an idol. We have made how and where we worship, when we start worshiping, how we do when we come back to worship. We've made it an idol, and that idol is all about our personal power. This is the way I want it, so this is the way you better do it. And yet worship is about us being in a relationship with God, and we have the opportunity sometimes to gather and to worship together. And so we've got to be careful when we start talking about lust. Lust can be worshiping an idol. Lust can be a, not, a lust for personal power. It can, be, it can be a lust for other people. We can lust for things. We can lust for social position. We can lust for attention. Jesus isn't just talking about adultery. He's talking about the heart and the mind that craves and desires something that isn't ours. He's getting us in touch with why we would want to commit adultery. What's the condition of our hearts? What's our real motives? Is it truly love in someone's best interest, or is it that we want what we want, like the crowd does? Minnesota right now, we're at the epicenter of the world, and it doesn't feel very good. Everybody is watching what's happening two hours away from here. It is the focal point in what has become the lust for power. Power and taking away personal power, those are at the very heart of racism. Not races. That's a very biblical thing. Racism is not, and that's all about power and taking away personal power. George Floyd had his power stripped away for him, from him by an officer with a lust for power. And we, as the disciples of Jesus, have to separate and distinguish ourselves out from the crowd that would demand power. Instead, what we need to be doing is recognize that we're being pushed. We're being pushed by politicians and by agendas in our country that don't want to see Christianity get in the way of their lust for power and control. And you know what? In the church, we need to start talking about that more, even though it's going to cost us. Because Christianity and our right to worship isn't something that's given to us by an outside entity. It's who we were created to be and what we were created to do, period. It's as simple as that. We're being pushed by people of color who are screaming to be heard because for so long they have felt they have no power and they've had no voice. We're pushed by advertising and TV and email and your web browser to be the crowd. We're being pushed to accept lust as just a part of everyday life. And you know what? As Christians in the Christian church, we're in a unique and a God-ordained position to be leaders for godly change in America. Not only in the way that we can be on the forefront of helping to end racism, But we can do it because it begins with you and I. How do we feel? How do we see people? How do we really love? Just like with lust, the first thought is free when you encounter someone else. What you do with it from there, that's what we're accountable for. So where does it really break down? It breaks down as simple as this. If you've got the thought, man, he looks good. Or if you lean over to one of your buddies and go, wow, did you see her? She's looking great. Jesus is talking to you. If you've ever said to somebody else, 
Man, have you seen that new truck? I'd love to have that thing. Ooh, careful. Talk to your friends and say, hey, have you ever seen that, that pair of jeans or that pair of shoes or whatever it is? That, that's what we're talking about. Jesus is talking about lust. And to say that it's just a part of life and not put it in check immediately is to allow the crowd to fuel that thought in the world that we live in and the people around us who are a part of the crowd. And before you know it, that thought becomes a desire and the desire becomes the condition of our heart and that becomes lust and lust becomes action. And you may find yourself living in the middle of the text that we're going to talk about next week where Jesus goes directly from lust to divorce. And as with the issue of racism, we want to make sure as Christians we're on the right side of this one. And it's not easy. It's tough conversations. But you know what? Jesus helps us to be very, very clear. So until next week, let's pray. God, this is tough stuff, and you know that. You didn't intend for it to be easy for us. Jesus is stepping on all of our toes. But that was the point, I'm pretty sure. That we can't say that any one of us are above this or not included in this. And so what we can do is we can work together. We can work together to be the kind of disciples of Jesus that you called us to be. To love you first and love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. To be a church that leads, not just in bringing the good news to the world around us. By example. By what we believe, by what we teach, by what we talk about, by the conversations we have, but also that we can lead, even out here, two hours away from the epicenter, we can lead by being good examples of what it is to be a Christian, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to be a part of ending racism in our country. And God, what, what we would ask is that you, that you give us wisdom, that you would give us discernment, that you would give us understanding as as we maybe see, our, see ourselves and see situations that we're in differently, that we would respond the way that you would have us respond as disciples of Jesus. And the only way that we can do that, God, is through your Holy Spirit. And so it's in Jesus' name and with your Holy Spirit who we ask for help that we pray. Amen.